Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. In John Irving's novel, The World According to Garp, the Garp family spends every summer at the beach in New Hampshire. Like all good parents, the Garps were concerned about the safety of their children as they would play in the surf. Whenever the children would venture into the water, the parents would yell, watch out for the undertow, or the undertow is bad today, or the undertow is strong today, or wicked today. Wicked made a big impression on their young son, Walt, and not just for the undertow. When he asked what it would do to you, he'd only been told that it could pull you out to sea, that it could suck you under and drown you and drag you away. Well, one day he was walking on the rocks surrounding the, the pools of water, and uh, they seemed to notice he, he looked like he was looking for something. Well, what are you doing, his mom asked. I'm trying to see the undertoad, he answered. The what? The undertoad. How big is it? Well, and suddenly they realized that all this time he had been dreading a giant toad, T-O-A-D, lurking just offshore, waiting to suck him under and, and drag him out to sea. From that time on, in the Garb family, every risky venture a member would begin was accompanied by the warning, watch out for the undertoad. became a code name for, for anxiety or their sense of danger. It's not a bad way to picture the fears that haunt us today, uh, turn them into toads, put a face on them, something we can deal with. The dread that as life goes merrily along, lurking just beneath the surface, lies the undertoad, waiting to grab you by the ankle and Pull us under. Well, the undertoad might be a, a diagnosis uh, by a doctor that your nagging pain could be malignant. The undertoad could be that knock on the door by a sheriff's deputy in the middle of the night with news about a serious accident. It's the warning about a new flu virus you need to protect yourself from. The special precautions required that can turn your life upside down. And it can happen to any of us. Broken blood vessel, clogged artery, or random act of violence. Suddenly and without warning, we find ourselves dragged down, drowning in troubles that only a moment before seemed unimaginable. The storm is raging and we can't seem to find the handle to shut it off. Our lesson from Matthew today, an eyewitness account, is basically a story about the disciples being caught in a boat, caught in, a, in the middle of the Sea of Galilee in a big storm and Jesus walking out on the water to, to rescue them. A lot of you have grown up with it, and if you haven't, well, maybe you've heard of it. The term, he or she walks on water, is actually made into our language as a way of describing someone who uh, thinks, or maybe others think, that they can do no wrong, that they're somehow God's gift to the world. Uh, don't confuse that with God's real gift, the gift of his son. Well, the disciples were in their fishing boat, but they weren't in the boat fishing, and it wasn't raining when they shoved off. It's all tied to our lesson last week, the miracle of Jesus feeding the 5,000. They just served up a miraculous dinner to around 10,000 people, some of whom had come probably hoping to witness a miracle. Others, probably most of them, had come just hoping to get a chance to hear Jesus teach or speak, tell his stories, his parables. 5,000 men plus women and children, were fed that day with just a young boy's lunch. No small miracle. After that, when people got it into their heads that Jesus was the promised one, the long-awaited Savior, the Messiah, which was true. But when they tried to force him to come to Jerusalem with them so they could crown him their king, 
Jesus had to let them know that really wasn't on his earthly to-do list. In their way of thinking, a king who could perform miracles and, and, and solve world hunger would uh, surely be able to get Rome off their backs as a bonus. I think the disciples would have been happy to see that happen too. Even though uh, it seems like they were still thinking in earthly kingdom terms. But like everyone else, even his closest followers still had a lot to learn about Jesus' heavenly kingdom and his mission to save people from something far worse than Roman occupiers. He had come to rescue them from sin and death and the power of the devil, something that went way beyond their materialistic needs. In truth, he was a way bigger king than they had in mind already. Even if he didn't look much like it, he was king of all kings, lord of all lords. He would come back again one day as king in all his glory, king over his entire creation. But before that, he had to lay the foundation for a new church, endure the sufferings of a cross to clear a path for sinners to stand before a holy God, forgiven, washed clean and made acceptable to the Father by faith in the Son, and, oh yeah, rise from the dead. That's a lot to have on your plate. Somehow, the Lord's urging, the crowds finally disperse and head home for the night. Uh, That in itself couldn't have been easy. You know, you can almost hear them, oh, come on, just one more miracle, Jesus. How about heal this guy over here before we leave, okay? No matter how much people receive, it always seems like it's just just short of enough, doesn't it? Like that's a, a human nature thing. So the crowds leave and Jesus has already told his disciples to get into their boat and head across the lake, promising that he'd catch up with them later. Right now he needed a little time alone, time to spend in prayer. Time to open his heart to his Father in heaven. Remember the shadow of the cross loomed closer with every passing day and and with the recent murder of his friend and cousin John the Baptist, the world had become a, a much darker place. You know, I know it's hard for us to grasp the concept of, of God the Son according to his human nature, needing to commune with God the Father, but he did, and he did it often. It's really a reminder to us that if the sinless one who is there at all creation with the Father and the Spirit needed to lift his heart up in prayer, you know, how much greater is our need? This quiet time was eventually interrupted by a sudden storm. When, that's when Matthew takes us back to the boat filled with frightened disciples. Some of them had been fishermen before leaving it all behind to follow Jesus, and they held the Sea of Galilee in great respect. The powerful storms that could form without much warning and then funnel through the surrounding hills to rage across the water could send a small boat like theirs to the bottom in an instant. It was one of those storms that engulfed the disciples now. On top of that, it was the middle of the night, somewhere after 3 a.m., a truly dark and stormy night. As the waves crashed over the bow, they must have been tossed about like ragdolls, drawing on all their skills and experience just to stay afloat. They were over three miles from shore now, not able to go forward against the buffeting winds, but unwilling to turn back. It was a real undertowed moment. Until Jesus sees what's going on, and so he comes back down the mountain and steps onto the sea, closing the distance not by swimming out to them, but by actually walking on top of the water. As he gets closer, the disciples can begin to make out a form when they ride the crest of a wave, a form that struck terror into their hearts. In their minds, it could only have been a ghost. With the heavy rain pouring down and the rise and fall of the waves and the blowing water, all threatening to pour them out into the sea, 
He must have looked like the specter of death himself from the distance. Then in their deepest uh, moment of distress, Jesus cries out to them, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. Let's talk about fear for a moment. You know, in the story of creation from the book of Genesis, we're told that Adam and Eve gave in to temptation and they ate fruit from the one tree in the garden God told them to stay away from. And then there's a scene where God is searching for them and, and, they, and they know they're, they're busted, they're caught, and, and so they try and hide. You know, it's all a little reminiscent of our own childhoods when we did something we know our parents wouldn't approve of and we kind of wanted to hide from them. Well, God eventually finds them, of course. No one can ever really hide from God. But he plays along, and, and then he, he asks them why they're hiding. Remember what Adam said? He said, because I was afraid. You know, that was a, a new emotion that he'd never had reason to experience before. He didn't even know it was in his repertoire. But from that moment on, to be human is to experience fear. The disciples feared for their lives in the storm, and they even feared Jesus on the water until he spoke to them and they recognized him. We might fear our past or fear for our present. And these days, a whole lot of people fear for their health every time they venture out to the grocery store. We can be afraid of life and we can be afraid of death. Even though God tells us time and time again in the Bible that death has been defeated at the cross and the empty tomb. The fear comes not because we don't believe the promise or have hope and confidence in the promise, but simply because we don't get a chance to peek on the other side of that veil for ourselves ahead of time just to make sure. Now, we're human. I don't think God holds that against us. Until it's our time to walk through that valley of death and actually experience the life waiting for us on the other side, it's still just a promise. And maybe we've been burned by promises before but never by the promises of God. Before the current COVID pandemic, most people's fears these days, at least in their senior years, centered around a loss of independence, their health, of course, and money, usually in that order. Alzheimer's had become the the second most feared health issue among Americans right after cancer. Young people feared uh, rejection, growing up, growing old, and unemployment. Kind of lightweight as far as fears go for some of us, right? But not to them. And then we all have our own particular fear du jour, whatever whatever weighs us down at any particular moment. It doesn't really matter. In God's eyes, from our loving Heavenly Father's perspective, the answer to fear is always the same. Jesus still says to us, don't be afraid. It is I. You know, he's saying, it's okay. I'm here. Everything will be all right. God knows each and every one of our fears because there are no secrets from God. Jesus tells his disciples, literally, it's me. Stop being afraid. He didn't discount their fears, did he? He validated them. The storm was dangerous, but now that he was with them in the midst of it, they had no reason to keep on fearing. He was also God over the stormy sea. And we hear this story Many of us have heard it since we were very young children and uh, just were in awe by the thought of it. And, and then we grow older and we're still in awe when we hear the story. But now in the back of our minds in that dark corner we hope God doesn't peek into, we're thinking something like, yeah, Lord, I know that, but it's, it's not so easy when the, it's me the storm is howling around. 
then we catch ourselves in our moment of weakness and we think, oh, be of little faith. Peter puts Jesus' words to the test. He jumps from debilitating terror to daring faith. But then, that's impetuous Peter, right? If anybody in that boat in that storm was going to jump off into the water and try to walk to Jesus, it would have been Peter. He says, Lord, if it's you, does that mean Peter really didn't believe it was Jesus? No. No, he's not doubting that it's Jesus. He's taking his assurance to a whole new level. What he means to say is he believes so strongly that Jesus is actually standing out there on the water that he also believes he can get out of the boat and walk over to where Jesus is. That's why Jesus answers him, come. So, you know, picture Peter, right? It's a dark night, it's stormy, it's late, it's uh, early in the morning, really, 3 a.m., a little after that. Uh, The wind is blowing, the rain's probably going sideways, the waves are going, making the boat go up and down and tilt left and tilt right. And here's Peter trying to get out of the boat, throwing one leg over the side, and of course instantly his leg is awash and he's probably soaked up to his, his waist. Maybe he's touching the surface by now with his foot, maybe he's not. I think probably not, except when the boat takes its next dip. But he's surely reminded in that moment that man wasn't meant to walk on water. Undone, he throws his other leg over, and now there's no going back. You know, just between us, I wonder if he didn't have a white-knuckle grip on that railing as he hung there in those moments before letting go. I know I would have. But he really uh, wouldn't be exercising his faith until he let go. It was when he fixed his eyes on Jesus and he got into that zone, when that connection by faith to the power of the Lord was made and everything else faded, that he finally could let go and, and, and find himself standing on the sea. Peter was doing what Jesus was doing. It was humanly impossible, but his faith in Jesus enabled him to do the impossible, a lesson that would change him forever. It gave a confidence to his ministry that remained right up to the day he was martyred and asked the executioner to crucify him upside down because he wasn't worthy of a a death like Jesus endured. He still had his faults. He still battled his fears. But that moment on the water filled him with a boldness of faith that kind of switched on a power in his life he'd never known before. For those few glorious moments, the waves beneath his feet were solid as dry land. And then he lost his focus. He became aware of the circumstances. He, he, He took his eyes off Jesus and he saw again the wind and the rain and the the waves and and the water beneath him began to liquefy and Peter began to sink. But Jesus hadn't invited him out of the boat to let him drown. Peter looks up to Jesus and he cries out, Lord, save me. And Jesus reaches down and, and, and lifts the big fisherman up. Why did you doubt, he asks him. And together they walk back to the boat. As soon as they climb in, the wind ceases blowing and the Sea calms and the disciples worship Jesus. Truly, you are the Son of God, they confess. That's such a great story, isn't it? But there's more to it than just a call to face your fears. It's a condemnation against just sitting in the boat. Was Peter wrong to step out of the boat? Did Jesus invite him to step out and trust him just so he could humble him by by watching him sink? No, Jesus doesn't humble faith. He encourages it. He encouraged Peter's faith when he told him to come. 
But the other 11, the ones who sat quietly in the boat watching, I wonder if they weren't a lot closer to failures than, than Peter ever was. When we see those, those pictures of, of Jesus reaching down to, to grab Peter's hand and lift him up, don't think of him as having failed. Did he allow his doubts to creep in? Sure he did. And they sank him. But just when he thought there was nowhere left to go but down, he looked up. He called out to Jesus. And the Lord reached down into the depths of his despair and gave him a hand up. It was doubt that crowded out Peter's faith. A doubt in the face of the storm. Just for a moment, maybe. But that's all it took. Is there ever any good reason to trust God's care and providence? I can't think of any good purpose that might serve. He's the author of good, not evil. He wants the best for us. He wants to connect us to what's best for us. See, Jesus lifted Peter up and he restored him, and together they walked back to the boat. What do you suppose the world would be like without people who tried to walk on water? You know, what if no one had ever taken a risk? What if no church ever reached out, moved out of their comfort zone, stretched themselves, stretched their budget sometimes? Not much would have been invented. No new relationships would have been formed. No new businesses would have been started. No new homes would ever be built. And a whole lot of people might have died without ever having been introduced to Jesus. See, no risk, no forward motion. Even Mark Twain weighed in on this. He said, 20 years from now, you will be more disappointed by the things you didn't do than by the ones you did. So throw off the bow lines. Sail away from the safe harbor. Catch the trade winds in your sails. Explore, dream, discover. This lesson is such good news. It's reassuring news that anyone can know what it's like to walk on water, to overcome their fears if they'll just step out of the boat to meet Jesus. Don't fear the undertoad. Don't go through life looking down. Try looking up instead. You know, we meet Jesus every time we come together in worship, whether it's online or in person. We meet him in word and sacrament. We meet him in prayer. He's there in all the sunny days of your life, and he's there in the storms, in your storms, to lift up and to save. Amen. And now may that very special peace of God that passes all understanding keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Amen.